our Father, now we come to the time of our worship together where we give attention to your word. And I pray you'd help me to speak and think and speak and help all of us to listen and think. Help us to receive your word, to believe it, and then to go from here and be doers of it. Thank you for how you edify us and fill us through your perfect and holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 28 of Acts 20. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And we're not even going to cover that much of it today. If you're new or listening online or something for the first time, we've been very, very, very slowly going through this address that Paul makes to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And, you know, all of the things in the beginning kind of built up to where he finally gets to that point in verse 28 where he, makes a, he starts issuing to them the instructions that he has for them. And we covered the beginning of that last week. And we talked about, really, we spent almost the entire time, and I told you that we would, talking about how the elders, the pastors, need to take heed to themselves and to the flock. So the pastor's job is not just to shepherd the sheep. The pastor's job is to watch out for himself, perhaps first of all, And then as his own walk with the Lord thrives and grows and makes progress, he becomes more effective at doing the latter part of that, which is taking heed to the flock. And we left off on the statement, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And the last thing we talked about was the fact that it was the Holy Spirit that had made those elders into what they are. And we looked at a couple of verses, a couple of passages, one in Romans and one in 1 Corinthians that talked about how the Holy Spirit is the one who gives gifts to people in the church. And, and that includes, it's not just everybody, it's everybody in the church, but it especially includes, I think, the pastors in the context of this passage. They had their gifting from the Holy Spirit and they needed to remember that. Pastors need to remember that what they have from God to minister with by way of gifts and abilities is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And therefore, God needs to be thanked for that. And most importantly, those gifts need to be employed abundantly and generously in service to the Lord. And that's kind of where we left off. Now, let's let's kind of pick up the last couple of uh, uh points of this verse. We won't make it out of verse 28 today, but I do hope to make it to the end of verse 28 at least. So uh, now the Holy Spirit has made you, here's where I want to start off, 
overseers. And I want to talk about that word, as I said last week, overseers a little bit. Overseer is the word episkopos in Greek. And it's the same word that Paul in Greek employed when he told Timothy that if a man desires the office of a bishop, is how we would know it in most English Bibles, but that's the same word that gets translated overseer here. So what Paul says there is, if a man desires the office of an overseer, he desires a good work. Now, overseer is a great word to describe the position that the pastor has, the position that the elders have in relation to the people of a congregation. And the reason for that is because it is a concept, it is an idea that has two sides of the same coin. One side is limitation on what oversight means, and the other side is authority that oversight means. The pastors, elders, overseers, and those are all the same person. Those are three different words to describe the same person or people. In this case, there's a multiplicity, a plurality, if if you will, of pastors that lead this church. And the Ephesus church was a pretty big church. There are a lot of small churches like ours who maybe have only one person in that position. And so the deacons end up picking up some of the the elder-ish kind of roles. But if a church grows to the point where you can have, you know, multiple elders, that would be probably the ideal thing because you have that situation certainly here. Um, But overseer is one of those words that is used to describe because it describes... It describes their position in relation to the people of the church. The work of a church is done by the people of the church. The ministry of the church is conducted by the people of the church. The elders, the pastors, are to oversee that. And that oversight has both authority and limitation. Let me start first with the limitation. Jesus, when giving instruction to the disciples, said this. This is Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 25. You can turn there if you want, but if you want to just listen, that's fine too. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25. Jesus said to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. You're familiar with this, right? And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Right? So right away, Jesus is saying that the leaders or overseers of the church and the people he's talking to there, his disciples became the first apostles, the first leaders of the first church. He said, you look around the world, which is what the word Gentile means, and you see that those who are great, they exercise authority over them. They lord it over them. That is to say, they become like lords. They become like masters. And you see that. You see that in government. 
You see that in employment. You see that in virtually any situation. You see it in, in, in the entertainment world and in sports. Everywhere you go, you see that there are there is leadership, and leadership is important. But the style of leadership that is exercised in the world is the person who is great among everybody else lords that authority over them. As in like a dictatorship. I am the Lord here and you do what I say. Jesus doesn't say that that's necessarily wrong in every situation in the world. Certainly, for example, in a military, it's very important that there be generals and a hierarchy of officers who make, office, who make commands, and those commands need to be obeyed immediately with no questions asked. Being an old military man myself, I know that that's the case. And I, I never had authority over anybody in the military, by the way. I was one of the ones taking the orders, not giving them, right? But I knew that that was, you know, you, you respond. But Jesus said in the church, that's not how it's going to be. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, what? Let him be your servant. There's the leadership model. There's the overseer model in the church. How can someone be a servant and an overseer? Listen, that is the divine call on the person. Look, if you desire to be a pastor, you desire to be an elder, you need to expect that you're called to be a servant. The example being Christ himself, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See? So the model of leadership in the church is one where the leader has limitations. He is not to be a lord. These elders and these pastors are not to be lords. Why? Why is that important? Well, there's a number of reasons, and I could spend the rest of my time on this, but I won't. But it's particularly important because remember that while I am the overseer of this church, the Holy Spirit in me is the same Holy Spirit in you. The grace of God that I am depending on to save me is the same grace of God that, Lord willing, you're depending on to save you. The righteousness of Christ that is imputed to me and is my justification is the same righteousness of Christ that is imputed to you. And so I'm not called to lord my authority over people. I am called to use my authority in the exercise of service, not just to the Lord, but among you. And that's what these elders are told to do. Because what is the effect of that when it's done like that? Everybody ends up looking to Christ together. When someone lords their authority over someone else, you know who's in charge. You're in the army and the general shows up. You see all those stars on his lapel. You see all of that, uh, those decorations on his, on his breast. You know who's in charge. 
and you look to Him. In the church, you ought to be able to look at the pastor and know that Jesus is the Lord of this church. That's how they're called to minister. Now, that's one side of the coin. Can we flip it? Here's the other side of the coin. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. It's just one verse. Just listen to this. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And usually when you read that verse, the emphasis is put on the worthy of double honor. Especially those who labor in the word and doctrine, which is a statement that infers that while every elder needs to be apt to teach, see 1 Timothy chapter 3, not every elder and pastor in a church necessarily has that as his primary focus. There might be elders who administer or do other things. But, but all elders who rule well are to be counted worthy of double honor. And the idea of double honor there absolutely is, among other things, monetary compensation. You should give generously to support the elder that rules well. Especially the elder that labors in the word. And in doctrine, not to make him rich. Yeah, I, I heard some, uh, I'll, I'm going to say his name. I heard Kenneth Copeland the other day. Uh, it's maybe an older clip within the last year or two. Actually standing in front of an audience and bragging about how God was going to make him a billionaire. And he was talking about how God told him he was in the billionaire flow, whatever that means. And everyone in the church was applauding it. And he was telling them they need to give more and more. I think that's taking double honor a little too far. I think his labor in the word and doctrine is pretty sketchy anyway. As are, as is the labor and word of doctrine of almost everyone in that ilk of so-called church. But the lab, but the word but the pastor who's faithful in word and doctrine is worthy of double honor. But now what I want to focus on though is the the phrase rule well. Notice that it does not say let the elders who serve well. Did you catch that? Let the elders it does not say let the elders who serve well. Well what well wait, Jesus just said don't lord it over them if you want to be great become a servant. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is rule well. The pastor while he is not to lord his authority over them in such a way that the people fear him or the people can't see past him to Jesus who is really the lord He's the one who lords over us. While that's true, the pastor absolutely does have authority in the church. Yes. He is a leader. Yes. And I say he, but it may be more, more than one he. Right? It's not let the elders who serve well, it's let the elders who rule well. Remember that. While 
I am not to lord my authority over you. I am called to rule. That is something that cannot go to my head. That is something that I should not use for my own advantage. And the way you know whether I'm doing it right or not, the way you know if a a pastor is ruling properly is who gets the glory. If the pastor is the glorified celebrity in the church, that's not ruling right. Doesn't mean you shouldn't love your pastor. And I know some, and I'm not talking about myself. I, I think of like John MacArthur, for example, who you know I love him. And, and, and I think he rules really, really, really well in his church. And he is sort of like through the pandemic almost became kind of a celebrity in a way because he's interviewed on television and stuff. But man, when you notice MacArthur, whenever he talks to anybody, even on television or whatever, there's, there's interviews years past with Larry King. There's, there's a great interview. You have to listen to the interview with Ben Shapiro online with John MacArthur. You have to go find that and hear that. But when John MacArthur talks, it's always Christ, 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 Christ. That's how you know an elder is ruling well, is when you, can, is when you go out of here, you're not thinking about him. You go out of here, you're not thinking about me. You go out of here, you're thinking about Jesus. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember those who, here's this word again, remember those who rule over you. You catch that? Hebrews 13, 7. So we see it in 1 Timothy 5, 17, and again in Hebrews 13, 7. Two different places the word rule is used. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. I want to read to you how the New Living Translation renders that. I like to listen, audio, Bible, New Living Translation every now and then. Listen how this is rendered there. Remember your leaders who first taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and trust the Lord as they do. Right? So remember them. Remember them who rule over you. The NLT renders that as leaders. All right? So I am called to be... In this church, the leader, but not in such a way that, like, the glory goes to me. You understand that? All right. The Holy Spirit made them overseers. Let's move on to the next point. To shepherd the church of God. I started the service today on purpose by reading to you from Psalm 23 and also from... John chapter 14. Uh, Shepherd is where we get the word pastor from. And it's funny, you can take this and you can turn this into a whole sermon by itself, which I'm not going to. And you can go like kind of detail by detail, point by point by point, what are the responsibilities of the pastor? And that's a good study, and I should know that, and you should know that. But in the context of what's being presented here, that's not what he does. He just puts that word out there, shepherd, in a broad sense, and uses it as a verb. It's a command, shepherd the church of God. And so, 
I want to just think about the concept of shepherding, the concept of pastoring for a minute. I read Psalm 23 to you today, and I want to read it to you again. Because David is famous for what? Many things, but he's famous for being a shepherd, right? And David, you can say, was a good shepherd. God saw something in David. God chose David as a man that had a heart like his very own. Made David his king. And chose in his sovereignty to make David's lineage forever established by bringing forth from him, eventually in his descendancy, Jesus. David knew something about shepherding and yet started this famous psalm by saying what? Yahweh is my shepherd. So I don't know if you ever thought about it, but I was thinking about it and I thought to myself... I wonder if there's anything about shepherding you can learn from Psalm 23. As the shepherd, David, writes about his shepherd, Yahweh. Just listen to this. Paul told these elders to shepherd the church of God. My call is to shepherd Fellowship Bible Church. Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm not going to break that down verse by verse, but what jumps off of that? Leads. The good shepherd that God is leads his people. Just like David knew how to lead a flock of sheep. David knew how to lead Israel. God is the shepherd. God shepherds his people by leading them. If we who are pastors and shepherds want to learn from God, we need to lead our people. And look how he leads them. Lie down in green pastures. Besides still waters, paths of righteousness for his namesake. You get the idea? That's how a good pastor leads the congregation. What is the picture of lying down in green pastures and besides still waters? It's peace. A pastor should preach in such a way that those who truly love God and trust God learn to sense and abide in the peace of God. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. A good pastor should point the flock to the way, the life of righteousness. Doing what's right. Goes on to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I love that. Boy, oh boy, that's awesome. In other words, the pastor's preaching and teaching, and that's the idea of his rod and his staff. The rod and the staff, I think, if I were to look at this as a pastor to try to glean some pastoring advice from this, I would say, how do I lead? I lead with the rod and the staff. This is the rod and the staff. Right? The rod. The rod sometimes implies correction and discipline. Staff. It implies like the symbol of follow me, go this way. 
That is the word of God. That is the pastor's only rod and staff. It was Yahweh's rod and staff. The word of God. And it says, though I walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're always hearing the word of God. Right? All of life is lived in this world in the valley of shadow and death. Shadow of death. But you don't need to fear any evil. And you should hear that from the rod and the staff. The good shepherd does that. He makes sure people are hearing the word of God even when they don't want to. And Paul told Timothy what? The time was going to come when people would no longer endure sound doctrine. But they would pile up heaps of Kenneth Copeland's and everybody else to say all of the things that the itching ears want to hear. Get wrapped up in the politics. Get wrapped up in the riches. Get wrapped up in the storytelling. A lot more fun than painstakingly carefully going verse by verse through the Bible. But it's the painstaking going verse by verse through the Bible that shows you God. And that's what brings comfort in the valley of the shadow of death. That's what enables someone to say, I will fear no evil. Because they have in their minds and in their hearts faith in the word of God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of the life. All the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah. The good shepherd brings out of the Davids. The good shepherd brings out of the sheep that kind of assurance. Not in himself. In Christ. In Christ. Yeah, hallelujah indeed. Literally, hallelujah. Right? Yahweh is my shepherd. Hallelujah. Here's how Jesus put it. I am the good shepherd. (laughs) Jesus is so awesome. Jesus, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. A hireling... He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep. Keep that in your mind, own the sheep. The hireling, the one who doesn't own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, what does he do? Flees. He leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf comes and catches the sheep and scatters them, which is what Paul, not for today, but for next week, what Paul warns these elders about is savage wolves are going to come. And you can't cut and run when that happens. I can't wait to go through that next week. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and he doesn't care about the sheep. Right? A bad shepherd is in it for what he gets out of it. A bad shepherd's in it for the private jet and the riches and the airplanes and the celebrity and all. all that. But not even anything that grandiose. The hireling is in it just for what he can get out of it. Jesus wasn't in it for that. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. That's shepherding. John chapter 21. You know this. 
This is after Jesus had risen from the dead. They sat down. They had breakfast by the sea. And Jesus says what to Peter? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, what? Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him three times, which, you know, maybe there's some parallel to the fact that he had denied Jesus three times, you know, uh, uh, before he was crucified. But Peter was grieved in that moment. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. Lord, you already know this. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I I didn't have to go through. No, Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is primarily what the good pastor does. He opens the word of God week after week, even when people don't want to hear it. And you come. Look, I love you. You love. I know you love me. We love the word of God. It's hard to sit on a hard wooden pew for an hour and listen to a guy go on and on about some passage of scripture, right? I know that. It's hard work, but it's what is needed. Maybe not the hard pews, but, but the, but the, uh, but, but actually, no, you know, the hard pews, they, they have their purpose. They have their, but, but in any case, you know, uh, what's needed is the word of God. And that's what Jesus said to Peter, feed them, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. If I love Jesus, I will feed you. If I love Jesus, that's what a good pastor does. Opens the word of God. And when people from amidst the congregation, which Paul says will happen, rise up and say, why do you need to do that all the time? Why do we do this so much? Why must there in every occasion there be some Bible study or lesson or sermon or something like that? Why why are we always emphasizing Bible teaching and Bible lessons? Here's the answer. Settle this right now because we love Jesus. And that's what he said. If you love me, feed my sheep. Let's move on. Last bit for today. Shepherd the church, what? Of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Clear reference to Jesus there, right? That says two things about the church, doesn't it? That points out to us that whose the church really is, And how he came about acquiring it. Right? Both of those things. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and 18, I will build my church. Right? The church is his. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 say, And he put all things under his feet. That is to say, God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, 
which is his body. Stop and think. The church, we say it's the body of Christ. And we, we think of it in terms of the body of Christ. That means that it's all the people who believe in Christ. But it's the body of Christ. You know? That is, that is to signify his ownership of it. And his headship over it. The pastor must remember that. That's the point of Paul calling it. Say He doesn't just say shepherd the church. He says shepherd the church of God. And the word church, I should point out here, is ekklesia in Greek. Which means people who have been called out. God called out people. He called them out of the world by the preaching of the gospel. And when they believed the gospel, as John chapter 1 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God to those who believed in his name. They become God's children. And then these Ephesian elders and me and every pastor of every good Bible teaching church everywhere is commanded to shepherd the church, the called out people, of God. And then we're told in the passage, what, 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 what gives the right? By what right do we say that the church is his? Here's, what, here's why you must remember whose the church is. Because he purchased it with his own blood. You know, we all know what purchasing is, right? You go to the store, you buy something, and it's yours. And you own it. You own it by virtue of the fact that you spent your money on it. We had the men's fellowship yesterday, and Bob Halliday and I always meet up an hour ahead of time and have some good fellowship together. We go over to the bagel shop, and we buy bagels for the men. And uh, we brought it back over here the church and we had brought a little uh, breakfast wrap and uh, bought two dozen bagels and we came back to the church and we got back to the church. The breakfast wrap wasn't in the bag and there were only 22 bagels. That's not two dozen, right? So what did we do? We went back to the place and very kindly and very nicely said, hey, you forgot this and they made it good, right? Why did we do that? Because we had purchased it. And it was ours. Not in any bad way or anything like that. It was all very friendly, very polite. Just like, just like a purchase is made, that's how we forget that notion that's in all of this. We just think it all of it like some religious, you know, high, unreachable story. And, and we forget sometimes that what's described in the Bible is described in very relatable terms. Right? The church belongs to Jesus because he bought it. It's his. And what did he spend on it? He didn't swipe his credit card. Shed his blood. That's what you drank today. Not literally. Not, no, no, no. The, the, the cup that you drank today represents the blood that he shed. It's in that cup to remind us of what Jesus did to own his church. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Colossians 1.13 Colossians 1.13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Every good shepherd will work. Every good pastor, every good overseer, every good elder will operate and serve and rule. Serve and rule. And shepherd, always remembering that the flock that he shepherds belongs to God. He can't be like the hireling who frees, who flees. God did not hire me to be the pastor of Fellowship Bible Church. God called me. God did not make a bargain or a deal with me. You do this and you'll get that. God in His sovereign power and His grace poured gifts into me and commands use them. And shepherd my flock. Oversee, not as a Lord, as a servant, but rule well. And you as the congregation should be aware of those things and respond to me accordingly. And watch me. And make sure that you don't just see me, but this ministry is pointing you to Christ Jesus. I am failing if I am not pointing you to Christ Jesus. Because he purchased you with his own blood. What a sentence. It was worthy of two weeks of consideration, I think. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. May I close today by asking you, are you part of his church? I don't mean do you come here. I don't mean do you watch online. I don't mean did you fill out a membership card somewhere and you're on the rolls. I don't mean do you tithe or give offerings. I don't mean do you show up for events every now and then. Are you part of his church which he purchased with his blood? There is only one way into that. Faith, a complete and total abandonment of any trust in yourself, your own works, your own perceived goodness, your own perceived righteousness, your own religious heritage, a complete abandonment of that, a repentance from all pride, a repentance from all thinking that you're fine just the way you are with God. Absolute and complete total faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah. And that when He died on the cross, He took the penalty for your sins. And you believe with all of your heart that He has risen from the dead. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Come to Jesus by faith. Believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. And receive him today. 
and have your sins forgiven. Become his child. Become part of his own blood-purchased church. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, so much for this time that we've had together today to consider your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the scriptures. And thank you that you teach how pastors ought to pastor and shepherd. And I pray that you teach all of us how we ought to respond to that. Help us to be obedient to the things that we've learned. Help all Christians to support good pastors who lead as servants and not as lords, who rule well, who labor in the word and in doctrine, who remember that the church is yours. Help the pastors to be that. Help the people to respond to it correctly. Help me to be that. And help my friends who are here with me to respond to that correctly. Thank you for your word. You show us the way. There's no doubt about that. You teach us well. And we thank you and we bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.